What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It's time to talk sports on Saturday here on ESPN 700. For the next two hours, we will cover everything from the Utes, Cougars, Aggies, RSL, and the Jazz to anything happening on the national stage. This is Sports Saturday. What's up, Salt Lake? Welcome to Sports Saturday on ESPN 700. Talking local storylines, also some national storylines from the week in sports. I'm James Peterson. Got a lot to get to today. A great show lined up for you, talking with managing editor of Ute Zone, Steve Bartle. That's coming up at 1030. Talking Utah, UCLA. I'll also get his reaction to the Utes moving up in the college football playoff rankings for the second straight week. And as always, you'll get to hear one of the best interviews from this week's edition of The Drive with Spence Checkets. He talked with Tom Haverstrow. We'll get to that in a few minutes here. I'll let you listen to the, to the entire interview. I'll also have Porter Larson with me, executive producer of The Bill Riley Show here on ESPN 700, also a Utes reporter, jazz reporter, does a lot for us here. He'll join me at 11. So looking forward to that. It's a game day for two Utah teams today. The women's basketball team is hosting South Dakota at noon. Abbreviated show because of that today will go until 11.40 instead of noon today uh, to get you just in time for Utah women's basketball pregame show with Tyson Ewing the voice of Utah women's basketball. And, of course, it's a game day for Utah football. They're taking on UCLA up at Rice-Eccles Stadium tonight. Kickoff is at 6 p.m. Our pregame coverage starts at 2 right here on ESPN 700 with Porter Larson and Stevenson Sylvester, I believe from Twist, live from Twist. I believe that's where they do their all the home uh, extended pregame shows, all the home local pregame shows. And then at 4 o'clock, we'll have our network pregame show with the voice of the Utes, Bill Riley, Scott Mitchell, and Tom Hackett, who, of course, is your broadcast voices, the broadcast crew for tonight's game, as always. And you can hear it right here on the home of the Utes, as well as that women's basketball game against South Dakota. So we'll get into all that, but first I wanted you to hear uh, one, of, one of our interviews from our local show here, 2 to 6 Weekdays, you can listen to The Drive with Spence Checkets. On Thursday, Tom Haverstrow of NBC Sports joined Spence to talk NBA and Utah Jazz basketball. Joining me now, one of our favorite interviews every single week. It's great, Tom Haverstrow for your NBA Daily Assist 2.0 back on the show. Tommy, how are you, man? 
I'm doing great. That uh, Jurassic Five song coming in that reminded me of high school. I used to love Jurassic Five. So there you go. Already a great start to the interview. Yeah, I should have known that Tommy was a J Five guy, East Coast guy, '90s. Good because Tommy got to understand my producer's like 22 or something, and so he's all about like Drake and all this stuff, and I'm all about the old school stuff, man. Hey, I'm with you. Um, I like Drake too, but uh, that was that was a nice little surprise to enter the show. Okay, fair enough. Hey, um, we were talking about this to start the show. You know, when I'm watching a lot of these games, it's through the prism of, you know, can the Jazz beat teams four times in seven games? And the Lakers have just been really impressive, man. Nine and two. Um, and on both sides of the ball, they've looked good. They're sharing the ball. Their assist rate is great. And Dwight has been really good for them. What about the Lakers start, Tom, has impressed you the most? And how sustainable is it? Um, and I think it's LeBron. He's, um, I think what he's doing here is trying to get Anthony Davis comfortable, acclimated. They're not taking turns. He is deliberately trying to feed him the ball. Obviously, uh, the brow sat the last night's game there with the, with the shoulder injury. But I think when you, when you watch LeBron play in years past with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch, it was a little bit awkward. Um, because, you know, you had a ball-dominant guy in D-Wade and you had a 25-point scorer in Chris Bosh there in Toronto coming over, and it was very awkward fit. This is not awkward at all. He knows exactly every time he wants to uh, get the ball to, to Anthony Davis, he knows where he wants it, um, and it just seems like they've been playing together for years and years and years. And right now, LeBron's averaging 11.1 assists, which is clearly he's in distributor mode, facilitator mode. And when you have guys like Anthony Davis, you have to feed him the ball. And uh, last year in in New Orleans, uh, Drew Holiday, he's not really a pure, pure point guard. Um, and so it wasn't a case they had a tough time getting him the ball. But you, it's clear that the Lakers are trying to feature Anthony Davis because as much as we want to say he's a lock to stay, we thought the same thing about Kyrie last year um, with Boston to start the year. And, of course, things fizzled quickly. So I think LeBron's trying to make Anthony Davis feel like he's a Laker for life. And, man, it's they have such great chemistry right now, and they're playing both ends of the floor, uh, which is not LeBron's calling card over the last couple of years. Can they continue to get this from Dwight? I know that's hard to anticipate, but, I mean, he's been he's been really good. Is, is that something you think they can count on? No. No. Um, I think if you – I'm here – I'm based here in Charlotte. And my guy, Rick Bennell, who I have the, the, the highest uh, respect for, uh, he's the beat writer for the Charlotte Observer. Dwight Howard played so well here for the first month or so of the season that he had written in the Charlotte Observer that it was the best trade the Charlotte Hornets had ever made, getting Dwight Howard. Things fizzle out really quickly after a couple months with Dwight. And that's, it just happened in Atlanta. It happened uh, in Orlando. It happened... Um, with with the Brooklyn Nets didn't even want him on on his team. Uh, So when you look at Dwight Howard, I want to see it for months. I don't need to see it for a few weeks. I need to see it for months because it happened in Charlotte. Um, It happened with the Washington Wizards. He got off to a good start and they, they dumped him. And so I think this is a case where maybe he comes back to LA and he gets his life straightened out, uh, eats better, takes care of his body better, has better attitude, better chemistry. But I've seen this act before, and fool me once, fool me twice. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to believe it until he does it for several months at a time. I was looking at your buy or sell um, piece that you put up today, Tom, and we'll, we'll send that out on our socials to get people there. And I, I was talking to Tim McMahon about this earlier in the week. 
Simple question. You take it whatever direction you want. Just how good is Luca? Oh man, I bet Ban was Ban McMahon is how we call him um, <laughs> because Mark Cuban banned him from uh, from going to games. Ban McMahon is got to be a Luca uh, Luca believer, and I am too. Um, I think he is the real deal, um, all time great. You look at the guys who are twenty years old and averaging a triple double like he is uh, or close to it. You, you, the list isn't very long, and you you match up his numbers to LeBron's numbers, and even accounting for pace and how the game is faster now, and the ability to you know uh, inflate your stats a little bit, even accounting for pace, you just never see a guy who's putting up these types of numbers. The Dallas Mavericks have the number one offense in the end, in the Western Conference, um, and you just I mean look at the offensive talent they have on that team. It's not great. Kristaps Porzingis hasn't played well yet. And still, the Mavs have turned out the most efficient offense in that conference. And now I think when you watch Luka Doncic, I think he's an MVP candidate right now because of his ability to stop, go, get guys off their feet. It is unbelievable. This guy is a puppeteer. He gets guys off their feet, and he gets layups, open layups all the time. And it's like, I don't know how, if the game is moving half as uh half the speed for him, but everyone is trying to block him and he is getting easy bucket after easy bucket. He is shooting 65% in the paint. Uh, and only three other players in the NBA have a higher field goal percentage on a high volume than Luka Doncic. And they're all like rim runners. It's Giannis Antetokounmpo, it's Montrez Harrell, and it's Clint Capella, three dunk factories, guys who just dunk it every time they get the ball in the paint. And Luka Doncic has one dunk this entire season. Think about that. So this guy is shooting the same field goal percentage in the paint as those other dunk factories, those guys who just finish at the rim and, and throw it down. Luka is doing it all on layups and finishing around the rim. So this guy is super special, getting you know teammates involved. Uh, and he is just he's like Chris. Paul, he's like a six eight Chris Paul. The way that he's able to use speed. Uh, speeding up, slowing down, putting on the brakes, and just controlling his defender. There is no one in the NBA who is like that at 20 years old. James Harden figured it out like five, six years in the league. Luka Doncic figured that out right away. For years and years and years, Tom, whether it was baseball or football or basketball or whatever, soccer, anything, I was always a proponent of replay challenges and such uh, because my whole takeaway was, and it's a cliched thing now, if I can tell what the right call is on my couch, you should be able to get it right. I have absolutely changed my mind. I hate it in every way, shape, or form. Kills the flow of the game. I'd be frustrated if I was a player or a coach. Uh, in your buy or sell today, you unpacked a little bit the early returns of the coach's challenge. Tell our listeners about this. Not good. Not good. Now, here's the thing. In football, it is a stop-and-go game, right? Like, there's always – I think the Wall Street Journal did a study on this that in a football game, there's only 11 minutes of actual football. Like, actual Jeez. guys playing football. It's 11 minutes of action. Whereas in the NBA, it's a, it's an action sport. Baseball is the same way. There's a lot of stop-and-go um, but And that lends itself to instant replay, is that fans watching those games are used to, you know, breaks in the, in the game. And, and I'll, I'll pose it to you, Spence, at what cost? You know, the coach's challenge is, you know, in the spirit of the idea of accuracy. We want to get the call right. But 34% of the calls are being overturned. That means that two-thirds of the time that we do these coaches challenge, 
They go, they put the headsets on, they stop the game. Everyone stares at zebras with headsets on. And I don't think that's the spirit of the game. Um, and so the, the actual duration of NBA games this season is nearing a 25-year high, two hours and 16 minutes. And I pose it to you, like, if coaches' challenges could happen instantaneously and we know yes or no, is that the right call? Maybe I'd be for it, but now it's adding five minutes on average to the game. So would you be okay with a coach's challenge if it had no stoppage in play? I would be more open to it, but, you know, the interesting thing, like I'm not sure how many people know, like Adam Silver has an entertainment background. He was with like HBO and and he's all about the product of the, the you know, the television product. And that's why we're seeing like the G League, you know, the whole thing with the free throws. Um, you know the, the, the you know they're they're trying to tinker with things to make the game shorter and 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 maybe I would be more open to it if the time was a little bit smaller time. But so far, I agree with Doc, who you talked about uh, in this piece. I hate it. I can't stand it. I hope they do yeah. away with it. Yeah, and the numbers are pretty amazing. Uh, the league distributes that data to the reporters. Thirty-four um, percent of the calls are overturned. Okay, so that means that 34% of the time that the coach makes the challenge, they were right, okay, after review. But what's interesting to me is that only 20% of the calls in the fourth quarter are overturned, and that's where most of the calls are being challenged. So at the best part of the game, the fourth quarter, late-game situations, you want you know, guys to be in, in action, playing, showing how good they are on the move and the fluid, the basketball is jazz. My buddy coach Thorpe likes to say that that whole idea is, should be the fourth quarter. It shouldn't be standing around and watching. And that's when the coach's challenge is least successful. 20% of the coach's challenge in the fourth quarter are overturned. And so I think when you see that, that really speaks to you know, this isn't right. This isn't what we want. And I think when you talk to coaches, I talked to one today um, who was just, you know, this, this isn't, this isn't going to last. Uh, he, he hated the idea of it to start, but now in games, he's deciding, should I coach? Should I challenge that call rather than coaching his players? And I think that's the thing that really gets coaches, um, you know, not on board with this idea is because they're thinking about the calls rather than thinking about, Hey, I need to, to, direct my players on this play call got a two-part all-star question as it pertains to the jazz and i know you're pumped for all-star conversation in november but we were talking about this on the show uh with steph and clay out and and durant back east and and also um the 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 early struggles of the portland trailblazers which i actually want to get to a little bit later Uh, it it appears that a door may be open tom for the jazz to potentially get two all-stars so i have a, you know the first part of the question is can the jazz get two all-stars and second part attended to it is is there a possibility that donovan could actually start oh yeah for sure there's definitely a possibility he can start especially if the jazz keep playing this well um big win over brooklyn uh they got another uh you know another game here on friday uh, tomorrow night against memphis they got to keep racking up wins and if they end up uh you know a one or two seed come all-star break, I think coaches will want to reward uh, the team aspect here. And I think that's what's amazing about this team is when you look historically, um, you know, we've seen some great jazz defenses, but this is actually the best jazz defense we've seen uh, yet. When you compare their defensive rating compared to the league average, uh, it is the widest gap we've ever seen from the Utah Jazz. They're seven and a half points better defensively than the average team in the NBA. 
which is better than any any defensive team we've seen. And Quinn Snyder has done a great job uh, with the defense. They're second in uh, corner threes allowed. They're second in uh, rim shots allowed. So like shots at the rim, uh, they limit those. And they have the for the sixth year in a row, they've limited opponent assists. They've they've just reduced opponent assists. They stay home on shooters and they make sure they're not gambling too much and, and giving up easy buckets. And it's clear that if they continue this defense and they continue winning, you know, they're going to, they're going to reward the jazz with at least one all-star Donovan Mitchell, I think is going to be in. And secondly, uh, you know, with the way that Bogdanovich is playing, man, he's going to be in that conversation too, because he is shooting the lights out of the ball. He is, he is everything that they need with Mike Conley struggling out of the gate. And uh, Joe Ingles has not been good this year but it hasn't really mattered. They're eight and three and their defense has been humming. Tom, I got to follow up because I sent out a tweet that uh, I said, if Rudy's not an all-star, I'm going to do a week of remotes with no pants. So I, 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 <laughs> I I've, I've got, I need you to tell me that Rudy's going to make the all-star team, Tom. Oh yeah. I mean, I would bet he's going to be in the all-star game uh, considering what he's done defensively. I mean, the, the the league has moved on from block shots. His block shots are down, but I don't think that's going to really hurt his candidacy. The way he's finishing, the way his, um, you know, I, I was hoping that his free throw shooting would carry over from from uh, the uh, this summer where he did a much better job. But man, the defense uh, it, it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, you know, he is he is a one not a one person defense, but everything revolves around. Hey, I got Rudy back there, right and. He's just a guy who's – I think the the conversation around defense in the NBA, that it's a lost art, it's not a lost art with, with Rudy Gobert. And, you know, I have to look at the entire candidate list, and it's early, but if I was going to pick two all-stars from Western Conference teams, I think it's going to be Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert right at the top of the list. I do want to follow up about Boyan, though, because there was so much excitement about Mike, Mike Conley, and, and Mike has settled in. He's playing better, and he's going to be fine. We all know that, but – uh, but the way Boyan has fit in here, hits the game winner the other night, he's averaging about 20 over four boards too. His efficiency number is good. What do you like most about the way Quinn is utilizing Boyan and overall his fit here? I mean, he's just consistent, and that, that's what he was for Indiana last year. Uh, he's been double, double figures uh, every single game this year, and I just think when you talk about a guy who's able to play at that size, uh, move the ball. Uh, he's not he's not a top shelf defender, but I just love the way that he has a knack for scoring, and that's what this team has needed. Uh, the defense has been locked down, but they need scores, and he he gets it, it into efficient areas. And I think that's the thing that you need for for not a not a number one, but a number two and number three scorer um, is to just be consistent every single night. And with him. He has been absolutely consistent, uh, a metronome for them. So I think uh, Bogdanovich, Boyan's been really, really good. Another acquisition I want to get your thoughts on, and it's kind of funny, we had uh, Dennis Lindsay in studio before the season, and I said to him, I said, Dennis, what would you tell me if I told you that I, I'm not an Emmanuel Moutier fan? And he was great the way he answered it. I mean, it's a it's a small contract. It's a one-year one situation, and Emmanuel's a big kid, but it didn't work in Denver, and nothing works in New York, which I want to get to as well. But um, even though he's putting up some big numbers, the efficiency wasn't there. And, and Tom, he's been really good. And Dante hasn't been healthy yet, so he's had to play big minutes. But so far, he's had a lot more positive than than the negative, which has kind of surprised me. Your thoughts on Emmanuel Moutier? 
Yeah, he's been a scorer everywhere he's gone. He's been, you know, a knack for the floater, a knack for scoring uh, in the paint. Um, he doesn't have much of a jump shot right now uh, in terms of efficiency, but, man, he gets into the paint and he scores. So I, I like Moutier as a, as a backup. Um, you know, when you have a guy like Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, you don't need much because they're going to be uh, handling the ball, especially with Joe Ingles. Uh, you're going to have three guys who could be primary ball handlers for your team. So you don't need much from Moutier, but um, he's got a really nice Florida able to, to score it, um, you know, in, in a variety of ways when they drive, when he drives into the paint. So it's a nice pickup from Lindsay. And I think he's, he's just getting started. A thought on the Blazers. We were talking about this to start the show because I'm not a white side guy. I mean, that doesn't make me unique and Nurkic is, is out. I really like Zach Collins. I know that every time somebody has called them about Zach, they have hung up the phone on him, and he's out too. They're four and eight. Are they the, the Are they the team in the West that maybe everybody was talking about? The one team that looks like they could even potentially miss the postseason. Are they going to right the ship a little bit? Man, that team. Everyone has underrated them over the years, and they continue to make the playoffs. Um, you know, they've got swept two years in a row heading into last year's Western Conference Finals run. Um, but Hassan Whiteside isn't working out. Um, and he didn't work out in Miami after he got the $100 million contract. And the same issues that plagued him in Miami is the same issues that you're seeing in Portland, which is he's a guy who loves his own stats. He would, you know, he would appeal um, and rebuke the, the the statisticians in Miami to try to get his stats to make sure their you know blocks were properly counted or rebounds were properly counted. Um, and he's a guy who you know he's an automatic double double. And I think that's kind of a a backhanded compliment because I think the little things in the game are not his strength. He's not a guy who's going to screen really hard. He's going to try to get the block shot, and he's not going to box out for rebounds. And that's the thing with with uh, Sam Whiteside is. You know, team team player, uh, not so much. He's he's very into getting his own stats. And, you know, in Miami, if you're not going to work out in that system um, where they give you $100 million and reward you, I don't know where it's going to work out. And for Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, those guys are veterans. They're professional in the, in the highest way. And if you're not setting hard screens and you're not playing hard and you're not playing team defense and you're not getting rebounds and putting effort out there consistently – uh, it's going to sour the mood in the locker room. And that was my big concern is just culture-wise how much of an impact that Hassan Whiteside would have, and they're 4-8. We'll finish with the Knicks. And, um, look, you and I grew up in the, in the Northeast during a time where Knicks basketball mattered, the Knicks in the 90s. I loved the, That was my squad, man. I loved them. Um, but it's been two decades since they've been consistently good. They've had a couple of outlier seasons here or there, and uh, obviously the big story now is apparently they're preparing to move on from Dave Fisdale. They haven't done that yet. We'll have to see. Uh, my my bottom line on this, Tom, is until it changes at the top, it's not going to change. Jim Dolan is the worst owner in sports, and I could talk about this for hours. Um, but, I mean, unwrap this for us. The situation in New York is what, Tom? It's a disaster. It's an it's a disaster. The the front office, the coaching uh, has to be aligned, um, but it goes all the way to the top with Dolan. You know the number one uh, the number one advantage in the NBA is front office ownership coach alignment. If you get those three things aligned, you're going to be in pretty good shape in the league. Everyone needs to be on the same page, and it just spoke volumes about the disarray the dysfunction 
the incompetence that, you know, they, they leave in the middle of the game. Uh, Steve Mills and Perry leave in the middle of the game and they go and, and have a press conference right after uh, before Fisdale can talk and to basically lay it all on Fisdale and say, we need better effort. Um, we need better uh, output from our players. And then Fizz has got to take the mic. I mean, you're leaving the guy out to dry. He's got two more, two and a half more years on his deal. He's going to be paid, and I would say to Fizdale, get your get your money, um, get your bag, and be happy because everyone else in the New York Knicks organization uh, has done the same thing. And it's been every two years they get a new coach in there. Uh, I just think the New York Knicks, uh, it, it they've lost so much money for the league. The fact that that market, the New York Knicks, Madison Square Garden is is it, it's apathetic. It's terrible. Yeah, no, it, it is a joke, man, and it, ma- and it makes me sad. I wish that team was at least somewhat respectable or relevant, but they're just not. Hey, Tommy, thanks for the time as always, man. One of our favorite interviews all week long. Keep up the great work, and uh, we'll chat next week, man. Thanks, Ben. Have a good one. Welcome back to Sports Saturday. James Peterson with you behind the mic today. Another beautiful Saturday here in downtown Salt Lake City. Sun shining. Make me want to get out of this studio and out outside into that sunshine. Utah. It's a game day for Utah football. As you know, Utes fans taking on UCLA. 6 p.m. kickoff up at Rice Eccles Stadium. Excited for that one. Uh, pre-game coverage, as always, starts four hours before here on ESPN 700, so be sure to tune in. That's starting at 2 o'clock with Porter Larson and Stevenson Sylvester down at Twist, getting you set for tonight's game. And then, of course, the voice of the Utes, Bill Riley, Scott Mitchell, and Tom Hackett will have the network pre-game show at 4, taking you all the way to kickoff. And then, of course, they will have the game here for you on ESPN 700. I'm excited to have Steve Bartle, managing editor of UteZone.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Bartle, haven't talked in a while. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good, James, man. How, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Doing well. I really appreciate you hopping on with me here. So, it's a game day for Utah. Had a bye week last week. Got UCLA in town. But before we get to football... You were at the Huntsman Center last Friday for the Running Utes' historic win over Mississippi Valley State. Bartle, they won by 94 points. What was it like being yeah. there in person for that kind of win? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was It was clear that Mississippi Valley State, like, it was almost like a church ball team, to be honest. Like, it It just, there, it was clear that there was just a a different level of talent between the two programs. It was fun to watch, like, Ryland Jones and and those guys, uh, the the young guys, Brennan Carlson, uh, and and even some of the the walk-ons. Ballstead uh, had a big game, hit a hit a bunch of threes. It was fun to see guys that you normally don't get to watch, um, you know, get a, get a lot of playing time. I think they averaged about fifteen twenty minutes. It was just a lot of fun. It was cool to see that kind of performance. Um, you know, as as it was getting closer to 
you know, a 60, 70 point margin, you know, it's like, it started to almost get uncomfortable. It was weird. Like, I don't know how to best describe it, but it just felt weird. So uh, it was a good win though. And, and, you know, the, the running youths were back in action last night and uh, against Minnesota. And I was there last night as well. And, you know, that game was a lot of fun. It was a, a different, a different, uh, uh, game. It was a much tighter, close, you know, closely contested game. But we still saw guys step up and make plays. Um, and you know, the the Huntsman was rocking. It was a good crowd. It was it was good to see that again. So uh, the last two weeks have been pretty good for running each basketball. Yeah, uh, getting that revenge win, if you will, over Minnesota after they kind of bullied them up in uh, Minneapolis last year. So it was. It was a great win, starting out 3-0 in the season. This team already looks much improved from last season. Uh, but moving on to football, we got UCLA in town. In your mind, because this, this one's another one that the Utes ought to win by double digits. They're 21-point favorite coming in. So in your mind, what counts as, as a success for Utah in this game? Because they got to do more than just win it, right? Yeah, they got to win... I don't think that they have to play any different than they have, though, and that's kind of the thing is, you know, we talk about style points and, and running up the score. Really, if they play their game where they're playing elite defense and they they take care of the ball on offense, like, it's going to be a big margin. You know what I mean? Like, they beat Arizona State 21-3. There's an 18-point margin. They beat Cal 35-0. to and they, and then you look at the box score and you see the not just the difference in score, but the difference in production in general. And it's clear that Utah dominated the game, and I think that's the most important thing. So as long as the defense comes to play, um, it's going to be tough because UCLA is playing with a, quite a bit more confidence. They're actually producing, um, and and it helps when you've got. Uh, three games against really bad defenses to kind of get some confidence and some some momentum. I think Dorian Thompson Robinson is playing his be- the best ball of his career. I don't think there's you know any any doubt or, or you know anyone would argue that. Uh, so it, that's going to be a, a a tough. I wouldn't say tough, but it's going to be you know probably the top priority is making things difficult for Dorian Thompson Robinson just because he's kind of the guy that makes that offense go. So I think Utah, as long as they play their game and they play at a high level, like the, the score margin will take care of, it, take care of itself and, and the production in the game will take care of itself. Fair enough. For our listeners who haven't seen a lot of UCLA this year, give us a scouting report on the Bruins. Yeah, they've got, you know, so I mentioned Dorian Thompson Robinson. Uh, he's the quarterback, number one. He's really good athlete. Uh, has improved a lot as a passer and as a quarterback. Still a little quick trigger in terms of pulling the ball and running, but he's a tremendous athlete where he can do that, and it's it's a good decision. So, uh, you know, you'll probably see uh, a similar rush plan like we saw against Arizona State where it's going to be the, the contained rush uh, where you, you're going to try to keep them in the pocket and force them to make plays there and then just collapse the pocket. They don't have – uh, their offensive line is is good. They have 
some talented pieces. Boss Tabaloa is kind of the leader of the group. Their right tackle, I can't remember his name, but their right tackle has been really solid in, you know, in, in what he does in pass protection and in the run game. Their left tackle is Sean Ryan, who was a top priority uh, recruit for Utah last year. He ended up at UCLA. He's talented, and, and you know, you can see the potential with him, but Bradley and I should be able to, to take advantage of some opportunities against him. Uh, as long as the defensive, you know, the defensive line, as long as they play disciplined and, and controlled, they should be able to get some pressure on Dorian Thompson-Robinson, collapse the pocket, and control the run game. Outside of that, when you're looking on the perimeter at the skill players, uh, it starts with the running back Joshua Kelly and Demetri Felton. Uh, they're kind of the big producers for this UCLA offense. And then slot receiver Kyle Phillips uh, has kind of emerged as, as a go-to target for DTR. Uh, that'll be a fun matchup to watch between him and Jab Guidry. Um, so pay attention to that. On defense, UCLA, they, they run, they're known for running a 3-4, you know, with three big bodies on the line and then four linebackers, two typically standing up um, on the line. But they also run a lot of nickel package where they'll have two down defensive linemen and, and two stand-up defensive ends. Utah should be able to, to generate movement in the run game which is great because they'll be able to do some different things in the run. And and that'll open up opportunities in the passing game against this UCLA Bruins uh, secondary, which they have, again, this is just kind of the story of the Bruins offense. They have talented pieces like Darnay Holmes is, is a talented cornerback, but as a whole, uh, it, it's not, it's not a very good unit. So you'll be able to help take advantage of some opportunities that open up downfield as long as you establish the, the run game on offense. So uh, that's that's kind of the overall look at, at this Bruins squad. So Utah moved up in the college football rankings for the second straight week. You also had Oregon move up. They're at 6-7 and seven there in the rankings. What's your reaction to this week's college football playoff rankings? Uh, that was, I mean, that was best-case scenario outside of Oklahoma being dropped behind Florida, I think. Uh, you know, to move up a spot to avoid getting jumped by Minnesota and, and Penn State, you know, dropping behind them. I think that's best-case scenario uh, for Utah. Uh, it would have been nice to see Florida jump ahead of Oklahoma, but, you know, with their performance against Vanderbilt where they just dominated. But, again, that's, it's understandable with two losses. So that would have been, like, the, the absolute best-case scenario. But overall, I mean, this is, this is as good as we could have hoped. To move up a spot to number seven, uh, Oregon at six. The Pac-12 is in a really good uh, position here. You know, as long as both Oregon and Utah continue to win out and meet up in the Pac-12 championship game, um, the winner of that game is is you know looks looks pretty like a pretty good candidate. You know, it, it would help uh, if if other teams ahead of them, you know, if Alabama lost again. Um, later on in the year to Auburn, that game is going to be at Auburn. Um, you know, if, if they could drop another game, that would be uh, crucial to their chances. So overall, this is what needed to happen for Utah this last weekend. Um, and and so it, and this I was just thinking about this. I'm, I was driving to the gym. Like, how fun is this that you know Utah is in the the conversation for the playoffs? 
And all of these other games across the country mean so much more, right? It's almost like fantasy football where, you know, you have your favorite team growing up, and that's typically the one game that you watch every Sunday. But as you get into fantasy football, you start drafting these other guys onto your fantasy football team. It makes you pay attention to these other games, and you're invested in these other games. That's kind of the same thing with with Utah right now, being in the playoff hunt. All of these other games matter so much more. You know, Baylor, Oklahoma is a big one later today. Minnesota and Iowa, that's a, a an important game for Utah. All of these games matter, and it's, it's making Saturdays a lot more fun in November than they've been in quite a while for Utah fans. Awesome stuff. Before I let you go, what do you guys have going on on the site right now? Oh, man, what don't we have? Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, but... Uh, a lot of recruiting stuff. Uh, Utah's recruiting uh, is is really starting to pick up as we get closer to early signing day. Uh, there's been a few players that have been trending. Uh, you know, our crystal ball predictions have been trending towards Utah for them. So a lot of stuff, a lot of content. Uh, we've got felt like breakdowns and, and all of that kind of stuff, but a lot of recruiting content. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we just had a promo last week. Uh, and had a a good number of folks hop in and and join the board. So, you know, it's it's definitely a fun time to be at Youth Zone just because of the amount of content, the the amount of interaction on our VIP board is a lot of fun. And then, of course, you know, we've got Dan, Michelle, and Cam uh, doing Youth Zone radio uh, every week. And and then me, different Cam, Camden, Camden, Brett, and, and Brian Brown, we've got us doing the broadcast. So, a lot of content at Youth Zone, um, and it's it's just it's a lot of fun, especially with Utah winning and where they're at. It's a lot of fun, and and you know, ho- check us out youthzone.com. Um, check us out. Uh, we'll uh, we'll make sure to uh, try and make a uh, a good impression. Well, appreciate you so much, Bartle. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate the knowledge and the time. Have a great game day up there, my friend. James, enjoy your day, my friend. Good to talk to you. All right, that was Steve Bartle, managing editor of UteZone.com. Really appreciate him jumping on. He's been he's been a good friend over the last uh, almost two years that I've been up up here. Move when I moved up here from St. George a couple years ago. So awesome to have him on. Seriously though, Utes fans, the best online coverage of University of Utah sports and in particular Utah football. That's UteZone. So if you're not a member of Ute Zone, go check it out. Dan Sorensen, Steve Bartle, Michelle Bodkin, Brian Brown, and many others giving you great Utah football coverage. Also running Utes coverage as that season has has is underway. Three and zero. I I loved what he had to say about this year's Utah team and and the great start that they've gotten off to up at the Huntsman Center so far in this in the early going here coming up man have the houston astros been exposed i'll expound on that on the other side you're listening to sports saturday with me james peterson on utah's number one sports talk espn 700 Sports Saturday on ESPN 700. James Peterson with you till 1140, thereabouts. 
abbreviated show today. Usually we go till noon, but Utah women's basketball, women's hoops at noon. Pre-game show starts about 11.45, so we'll take you up right up till pre-game for that one. Tyson Ewing on the call. Good to hear him back on the radio. It feels like it's been a long off-season. It's always fun to hear some old, friendly voices back on the air, Tyson Ewing being one of them after after off-seasons. I feel that way when we get back into RSL action, hearing you know the Gov, Spencer Warren, and Lauren Mason Beck a little bit more often, uh, Jay Nolly, Utah Hoops, Men's Hoops with Jim Soto, Getting back on the airwaves and now women's hoops with Tyson Ewing. It, it's a lot of fun. Also, and obviously, we're all geared up for football around here, Utah football especially. So, be able, it's been fun to to get Scott Mitchell and Tom Hackett back in our lives uh, one more time here. And it's been a great year for Utah sports. So, yeah, we'll uh, have you up until about 11.40. Then we'll have Utah women's basketball versus South Dakota here on ESPN 700. Of course, later on today, it is a game day for Utah football, taking on UCLA at home. We'll have coverage for you starting at 2 o'clock. You heard the you heard the ad coming in. Down at Twist, Bar and Bistro, Porter Larson and Stevenson Sylvester. We'll have our local pregame coverage. And then Bill Riley, Scott Mitchell, and Tom Hackett will have the network pregame show starting at 4 all the way through through the end of the game as they'll have we'll have the game broadcast as well starting at six o'clock, six PM kickoff, Utah versus UCLA up at Rice Eccles Stadium. But you heard Tuesday, Tuesday morning, you heard just like I did. Turning on the radio, looking at Twitter in the morning. The Houston Astros had a grenade lobbed at them by a former pitcher. Mike Fires, who was on that 2017 Astros World Series team, he told the Athletic that the Astros use used past tense because he's not on the team anymore. He can't confirm that they're still using it, but they used a center field camera to help steal signs during their 2017 championship season. And before you start thinking. Yeah, big deal, stealing signs. It's been happening for over 100 years in baseball. This is not your run-in-the-mill guy on second, staring in at the catcher, looking down to see what sign he's giving the pitcher and then giving a sign to the batter. This isn't the coaching staff happening to see a sign and decode it as he's out there and then relaying it to the dugout or relaying it to the batter, or the base runner. This is a camera fixed in center field, fixated on the catcher. Specifically, it, the only reason it's there, according to Mike Fires, is to try to decode the catcher's signs that he's giving to the pitcher. So then, and it gets worse, so then they can relay that to the dugout, and the dugout can relay that to the managers. He said the Astros, they they go a step further even. They have someone who makes a noise. They blow a whistle. They, they make a whistle sound, a loud whistle sound to alert the hitter or 
They even said that they, they've had guys bang on trash can lids to get the hitter's attention so that they can know that a breaking ball is coming, that something other than a fastball is coming. This happened. This was happening during the 2017 season, allegedly, according to former pitcher Mike Fires. It's also alleged that they didn't. They only did it in the regular season in 2017. Yeah, we're all supposed to believe that, and that they stopped after the 2017 regular season. So, even if that were true, so we're supposed to think it's okay that oh, we only did it to win a hundred games. In the regular season, we stopped in the postseason. Okay, so those 100 games, how many of those did you win? Because of home runs that you hit. Because you knew a breaking ball was coming. Because you've got a camera watching the catcher at all times. And someone behind that camera waiting to relay that to the team. This is egregious cheating. I don't want to hear another person tell me, well, they're using technology better than everyone else. That's on the other teams. No, it's not. It is okay to be to be looking around and decoding a sign with your eyes and with your own brain and then sending a signal to the dugout that way. To have a camera with a person behind it, their only purpose back there is to look for when there's going to be a breaking ball so then they, they can tell the hitter that a breaking ball is coming? That's absolutely ludicrous. This should not happen. And, of course, the Astros' front office, it's not just the players who look awful by this. And, of course, this is still accusations. Nothing founded here, but when you got a former player saying that it happened, it's I think it's pretty likely that it that it went on. Of course, the Astros front office looks awful again. They released a statement saying we're going to we're going to begin an investigation in cooperation with Major League Baseball, trying to make it sound like they had no idea. Okay, we all know Jeff Lunau and the rest and that Astros front office who who already looks terrible since their since the ALCS win over the Yankees. They just look even worse. They're trying to convince us that they had no idea when we know. It was probably under their direction that they even started doing this in the first place. So awesome for you trying to trying to look good there. They also said, uh, Jeff Lunau also said, the team wanted to gather facts before discussing the matter further. I have heard what you have all heard, which is allegations. This isn't the first one I heard, and it's not the first one you all have heard. Like I said... I think it's the best course of action not to speculate right now. We're going to look into it with the cooperation of MLB and find out what there is. He told that to ESPN reporter Jeff Passan, ESPN baseball insider Jeff Passan. Man, doubling down. Isn't that the worst thing to do in this situation? Astros look awful, and it's only going to get worse when they're able to prove that this is going on. And... When they're able to prove that this was not just this postseason, we had people say they heard that trash can sounding noise before an Astros home run in this year's very World Series. This is not innocent, hey, I just happened to see 
what's going on while I'm out there. This is this is egregious form of cheating, and it needs to be put to bed. The Astros' arrogance has finally caught up to them, not just with what the assistant GM said in the in the locker room after the ALCS against the Yankees, but now with their thinking they're above the rules, thinking they can film the other team's signs and then relay them to the other team. This is awful for baseball, and I hope the Astros, I hope they come down really hard on the Astros for this because they're not a good-looking team right now. They're not a good-looking organization right now. I think the best thing for baseball would be as harsh a punishment as possible. Now, I'm not saying... When I say that, I'm not saying take away champ, take away the 2017 championship, suspend a bunch of players and, and coaches, but the most reasonably harsh punishment they can come up with, fines, maybe some suspensions, wouldn't say whole season suspensions, but this is something baseball cannot stand for, and I think the Astros' arrogance is finally catching up to them here, and... Good for it. It'll be better for baseball if we can get this cleaned up. Coming up on the other side, hour two, I'll have Porter Larson join me to talk Utah-UCLA and a little jazz basketball. I'm James Peterson, and you're listening to Sports Saturday on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome back to Sports Saturday from the ESPN 700 studio in downtown Salt Lake City inside the Broadway Media Building. James Peterson with you till about 11.40. Then we'll have Utah women's basketball versus South Dakota here on ESPN 700. Tyson Ewing on the call. Excited for that one. It's also a Utes game day. Taking on UCLA for the football team. 6 p.m. up at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Joining me now, executive producer of The Bill Riley Show. Weekdays from 11 to 2 right here on ESPN 700. He's also the Utes, uh, He's also the host of Utes Game Day pregame show during the football season with Stevenson Sylvester Porter Larson. Welcome back to Sports Saturday. Hey, James. How's it going, man? Pretty good. I appreciate you coming on again with me. Talk some Utah football. Talk a little jazz basketball as well. First, I want to get your impressions. Utah moved up again in the college football playoff rankings to number seven. Oregon at six. Your thoughts on this week's rankings? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of uh, is it, something to, I guess, it's a silver lining for the bye week, right? When you can move up in the in the college football playoff rankings without even playing a game. Um, a lot of people were expecting the youth to drop or at, le- at the very least stay there at number eight uh, with, with some good wins behind them in Minnesota and, and the like. But Utah moving up to number seven, Oregon at number six, and I think the Pac-12 ought to be really happy about that. It, it's, it's the committee showing them that they do have respect for the conference uh, from top to bottom. It has been really by all metrics the third best conference in college football this year. And yeah, there's a lot of disrespect out West, but I think a lot of it is more of a perception and exposure issue than it is an actual on-field issue, right? So it, it it goes to show that the committee, number one, trusts the Pac-12 more than they trust the Big 12. 
Um, and it, it shows that they're right there in the hunt for the for the college football playoff. Obviously, there's still some things to to go down. There's still some dominoes that have to fall, but they're right there in a good enough position, and, and now they just got to take care of their own business. Absolutely, i i really I really like the Pac-12's position here. Not only with one, but two top ten teams. Obviously, Utah and Oregon's fate are is going to rest on the who's going to win out in the Pac-12 championship game, knock on wood, if everything goes the way we expect it to, and, they're, and they face off in Santa Clara. But to be number six and number seven in the country right now, in the, first, in the mid-November, that's a great position to be in. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it's a good spot for both teams, and it's, I think, a little earlier than a lot of people expected. I don't think that... Uh, you know, you really thought that Utah and Oregon would be in this spot just yet. You'd think that they'd have to get these next three wins, um, these kind of automatic wins that they have on their schedule, and then into the, the conference championship game before they saw a lot of national respect. But uh, they're getting a little bit of it right now, and, and now it's time to go out and, and put a show on because now that you're in that position, you have these prime time games. You have Utah playing on Fox uh, in prime time. So, so now you have to go out and since you've struggled with the exposure and the perception issue, you have to go out and put on a show and you have to go out and perform for the committee. I think that it's not only about when you win and if you win, but how you win when it comes down to the, to the playoff thing. So right now the youths aren't considering that they're not, they're not worried about that. They're, they're, they're set on UCLA just like Kyle Whittingham wants them to be. And they're set on a PAC 12 title. Uh, But for us to talk about and for us to, to kind of play the, the what if game, it's it's about how you win, not necessarily if or when you win. Yeah, and I've been thinking about this all week, Porter. Auburn, who beat Oregon to start this right. season, has Georgia this week. And then I don't remember if it's next week or the week after they have the Iron Bowl against Alabama. They could eliminate right. two of the two guys ahead of the Pac-12 right now in the rankings out, outside of the, t- the top three that's been just super dominant this year. They can eliminate them and at the same time make Oregon's loss look even better. How awesome is it that it's set up that way with Auburn with the cha- really holding the Pac-12's playoff fate in their hands here? Yeah, it's true. It's it's a position where Auburn or, or Pac-12 Utah Oregon fans are for the next couple weeks huge Auburn Tigers fans because they really do hold the key to the playoff. Uh, for those two teams, Utah kind of already has the upper hand. It looks like like the on the second tier of Big Ten teams and on the the Big Twelve champ. Um, so it, it's it's certainly looking like they want to cheer for Auburn and then hope for some more chaos between Oklahoma and Baylor and, and those teams. Because if if those two things happen, the Pac-12 champion, if they meet twelve and one and are both still six, seven, maybe four, five, or five, six. Uh, that game is a uh, de facto playoff game. It really would be. You, you mentioned Oklahoma and Baylor. I've been thinking about this as well. It You almost want Baylor to win so that they eliminate another playoff contender, but then if they win, that puts them right there where you're like undefeated Baylor or these one-loss Pac-12 teams, who's better? So I don't know. What what are your thoughts? I've been wrestling this with this all week. Who should Utah be rooting for in this game? Should it be Oklahoma so that they can get Baylor one loss and get one step away from uh, 
elimination, or should we be rooting for for Baylor so that you can eliminate the Oklahoma Sooners? I think you today you you go for Baylor, uh, get the Sooners out of the conversation uh, because still uh, ahead for Baylor is uh, a tough slate, and frankly, another conference championship. Luckily, the Big Twelve, or thankfully, the Big Twelve actually does that now. Uh, they actually play a conference championship, which is which is nice. So I think you you go for Baylor today, right? Um, get Oklahoma out of the conversation, and then really cheer for Texas next week against Baylor. They still got Texas, Kansas, and then a, a conference championship. So I think you 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 root for Baylor tonight, and then hopefully they pick up another loss sometime down the road because a one loss Baylor team isn't going to make it over a, a one-loss Pac-12 champ in, in Oregon or Utah, just based on where they're at right now. Oklahoma has more of an opportunity to move there, I think, because you look at Oklahoma's schedule, and they have uh, a game with Baylor today. If they win that, if they beat TCU, if they then go on the road and beat Oklahoma State and then win a Big 12 title game, that's a team that, that has a claim to get into the college football playoff just as much as a Pac-12 champ does. So, I think that's kind of the route you go as far as cheering for today. And outside of the Big 12 championship game that's going to be against a ranked opponent, they also have Kansas State, if they can continue to win, that can stay in that. That's their one loss. They could, if they can stay in the top 25 rankings for the committee, that probably lo- that looks better than Utah's loss against USC, unless USC can win out and get maybe a higher ranking than Kansas State there, of course. Which is still. Yeah, I think that I think that's a that's a good point you make there because I don't think that that's out of the question either. I think Utah's loss to USC in the Coliseum, uh, even though you look at how USC has struggled a little bit as of late, they're five and two in conference, and and that's a that's a honestly it's a pretty good football team. USC's losses are to Notre Dame, uh, to Oregon, they are to some good football teams, right? And so you, you look at what USC has done, obviously BYU, another one, and, and we know what BYU does against these, these big-time schools. They go in there and they put up a fight and they, they win some that maybe a lot of people didn't think they were going to. So I don't think Oregon, or, or USC rather, uh, is going to be a real bad loss when the committee looks at it because they're going to go out and probably finish 8-4 and four if they can beat UCLA and Cal here in this home stretch. Um, and, and possibly be in that top 25 ranking. So at the end of the year, if, if Utah is in the Pac-12 title at 12-1, and and, or if Utah's in the Pac-12 title at 11-1, and one, and their one loss is to a ranked USC team in the Coliseum, you've got to like your chances of, of, of at least putting forth a, a good effort and, and giving the committee something to talk about. Awesome. And with, in regards to tonight's game up on the Hill, versus UCLA, 21-point favorites. What What is the barometer for success in this game? Because when you're that big of a favorite, just winning it really isn't enough. they got to do more, right? You know, I, I've got that a lot this week, and I, I'm not sure that, that they necessarily do. I think 21 points, honestly, is, is a big spread for me. I know that was the spread uh, for Utah last week, and they, they were able to – to go out and, and perform, right? Uh, but this UCLA team is rolling. Um, and, and not in that last week, but the, the game against Cal, there was a 21-point spread, and they went out and covered. Uh, this UCLA team, I think, is playing a lot better football than Cal was at that point. 
I think the 21 point, 21 and a half point spread now, um, not saying that Utah can't get there, but I was surprised to see it open up that big because UCLA is a team who over the last six games has been totally different. They're on a three game winning streak. Uh, they've rushed for 200 or more yards in each of their last five games. They are, they are much improved. Dorian Thompson Robinson has, has come out and kind of found his own as a quarterback. And we've, we've seen him really kind of evolve over the course of the season. UCLA is not going to go down easy. They still control their own destiny in the Pac-12 South, too. I know they're four and five, and that sounds crazy, but they're right there with Utah. If they won this game, they put themselves in positions to play in a Pac-12 title game. And, and when you say that, it sounds crazy, but it's, it's where UCLA is at. So they're not going to take things lightly. They're not going to come out here and lay an egg. They're going to play a, a tough physical football game at the very least. And I think that you look at what they do well, and it doesn't bode well for them against Utah, but I still think that they are going to come out and put up a, a fight. I'm not sure Utah covers the 21.5-point the spread, and I'm not sure they necessarily need to. Uh, but if, if you want to impress the committee, if, if the playoffs are something that's on your mind, that should be something you probably think about because a 40-17 win over UCLA uh, looks a lot better than a, than a close one does when that team is now 4-6 and six after this game. Absolutely. Shifting gears to the Jazz now, Porter. 8-4 and four through 12 games. I don't know if you knew this. It kind of surprised me. That's their best 12-game start of, of the season since 2012. So it's been okay. a while since they've, since they've won this many games early. That includes the last two years where they knocked on the door of 50 wins. Uh, we know they came on late in those two, the last two years right. to get there. But that said, have things gone ex- as expected for you in these first 12 games, or maybe was it a little bit unexpected uh, stuff happening so far? Um, I think it's been pretty much on par with what I or a lot of people think that they were going to see. You see Bojan Bogdanovich is an instant impact. And we talked about it all off season long. He's the number one corner three-point shooter in the NBA. The Jazz make and, and contribute to the most open three-pointers in the NBA. So that was a match made in heaven. Uh, Bojan's, if you watched Bojan with the Indiana Pacers, you knew what you were getting with him. And then with Mike Conley, you also knew what you were getting with him. But you also kind of expected to see a little bit more uh, road bumps for Conley than you would with Bojan. Uh simply because he has to change his game. He's a guy in Memphis who really controlled the ball. The guys that he played with, you think of the core four, as they call them in Memphis, Mike Conley, Tony Allen, Zach Randolph, and Mark Gasol. Mike Conley has the ball a lot when that lineup was on the floor, and that lineup was on the floor for the better part of a decade. So he's really got to change how he plays a little bit because now he's alongside a volume scorer in Donovan Mitchell. He's on a ball club that that moves the ball around in that offense a little bit more than you would see in that, that really pick-and-roll heavy uh, Memphis offense. So Mike's going to have to change his things around, and you're seeing him have some growing pains with that. Um, and you're seeing his shot a little bit off. But everything else in his game has been, has been awesome. You, you've seen him kind of really take in this Utah offense. And once he finds his stroke, you're going to see that really dangerous uh, scoring unit out there. And then the, the one – the one thing that has been a little – it makes me a little trepidatious with this is, is the Jazz second unit. They haven't been as productive. Um, you see a couple guys come out and shine every once in a while, but for the most part, you look at the box scores, the plus, the plus minus, and the starters are way up there, and the, the second unit is, is way down. So 
They need to figure something out as far as depth goes because they do have a deep team. They have a deep roster, but right now they're not performing like that once that second unit comes in. It's, it's, they're leaning heavily on Gobert, Mitchell, Conley, Bojan, and, and, and the like. So you got to see more out of Joe Ingles. Um, you'll, you'll like to see, obviously, Emmanuel Moutier has got to stay healthy. He's, he's been a surprise so far. And you'd like to see Dante Exum back and in, in, in producing in some form. So I think that's the only real concern with the Jazz so far. If, if they can get a, a second unit that comes out and consistently performs, consistently can put points on the board and somewhat uphold that defense that the first team does, you're going to see a team that competes for the first place, second place, and home court advantage in the Western Conference playoffs. Great stuff, Porter. Really appreciate you hopping on, and have a good Saturday, my man. You do the same, James, and we'll uh, chat here again soon when Sly and I get to twist. Absolutely, yeah. Porter Larson, thank you so much for coming on again. We appreciate him so much. Uh, Executive producer of the Bill Riley Show, host of Utes Game Day pregame show during football seasons with with Stevenson Sylvester. That's what he was alluding to on the way out there. That one will start at 2 p.m., kickoff at 6. Coming up on the other side, I'll wrap up the show in our last segment here. I'm James Peterson, and this is Sports Saturday on the home of the Utes, ESPN 700. Sports Saturday on ESPN 700. James Peterson with you for another about eight minutes here, seven, eight minutes, taking you up to coverage of Utah women's basketball. Up at the Huntsman Center, taking on South Dakota. Tyson Ewing, the voice of Utah women's basketball, will have the call for that one. Starting at noon, we'll have pregame coverage about 12 minutes from now at 11.45. Also a game day for Utah Utes football, of course, taking on UCLA up on the hill at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Kickoff at 6. Our pregame coverage is at, starts at 2. Porter Larson and Stevenson Sylvester down at Twist will set the table for you on the local sh- pregame show, 2 o'clock. And then at 4, Bill Riley, Scott Mitchell, and Tom Hackett, our tonight's broadcast team, will have the network pregame show and kickoff will be at 6 p.m. once again. And we'll have it all for you here on the home of the Utes. Also going on locally this weekend, the Real Monarchs, they beat Phoenix Rising FC last week. They were down one nothing at halftime, get two goals in the second half to beat Phoenix Rising in the Western Conference Finals of the USL, the United Soccer League, pretty much the AAA, uh, two MLS's major leagues, right? So now they are in the finals this weekend taking on Louisville City. The USL final, that's tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. So that should be a lot of fun. Great stuff they got going on up at Zions Bank Stadium in Harriman, actually down at Zions Bank Stadium in Harriman, south of here, downtown Salt Lake City. That's some of the local stuff going on here in sports this weekend. Jazz are off for the weekend. Their next game is at home against Minnesota on Monday. Of course, they get the heartbreaking loss to the Memphis Grizzlies. But as I talked about 
last segment with Porter Larson, things are still looking really good for the Utah Jazz. you got to think those calls, that one that they missed last night that would have put Donovan Mitchell on the line for game-winning free throws at the end there, you got to think they're going to start getting those calls. Especially, I was thinking about this last night, there's a magic trick that happens around February for non-All-Stars at this point in, this career, in their careers. Once they make that All-Star team, all of a sudden, it's like magic. The refs start respecting them down in those situations. I would not be surprised. Hopefully it doesn't take that long for things to get righted that way. But I would expect a big second half of the season, free throws-wise, for Donovan Mitchell, and he's going to start getting those calls, especially if he stays on this trajectory and makes his first all-star team. I want to talk about here as I wrap up the show, though, a couple weeks ago, this is actually now back in September this happened. I wanted to, I've been wanting to get to this sound for a few weeks here. I keep having to push it as we've had le- uh, always not enough time at the end of the show here to do it. But back in September, an Extinction Rebellion protest. You might have seen this on Reddit, on social media. There was an Extinction Rebellion protest. A group of women from that, uh, from that group were blocking traffic in San Francisco, of all places. And preventing people from being able to get to work. Well, this guy walking across the street, and they're 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 right in front of a crosswalk. They're letting people cross the street, but they're not letting traffic go by because they're holding up this sign that uh, holding up a sign for their for their protest. And this guy looks like he was in scrubs, maybe worked at a hospital. Walks across the street, grabs their sign throws it over a wall into an industrial yard, and uh, here's the sound of it. It's quite entertaining. I'd be a little confused if you didn't see if you haven't seen the video. So as I said, the, this guy who's yelling at them, walking across the street, grabs their sign, throws it into an industrial yard where no one can get it. Again, he's the one yelling at them, telling them, "Get out of the way! Get the bleep out of the way!" And at the end there, that little uh, crunching noise that happened because one of the protesters who was filming the whole thing. He grabs her phone and chucks it in the middle of the street. She gets upset because, hey, that's my phone. And the rest of the video shows her, in a different video taken from an office building, it shows her yelling at the cars as she goes out, as she proceeds to go out in the middle of oncoming traffic to grab her phone. Great stuff. Awesome when people get mad on the internet. But... That'll do it for today's show. I appreciate all of you for listening. Thanks again to Porter Larson and Steve Bartle for joining me. This has been Sports Saturday with me, James Peterson, on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.